right, if you want to come back and grab your seat, that would be great. Excellent. The kids are out. Come back and find your seat. Awesome. How's everyone doing? Good? Good? Enjoying this weather? How nice is it? Very, very nice. Very nice. Let everyone grab their seats. Um, can anyone guess what we did as a family yesterday? Anyone got an idea? We did have dinner, yes, true. What was that? We did. I hardly went to the pageant with my kids when they were little. But yesterday we decided to do a family outing to go to the pageant together. How cool is that? Very. And Emma was really excited because she goes, I was more into it than when I was younger. She's like, wow, what's wrong with you? You never got this excited about things. But um, it was a really good experience. We took Gloria along because Gloria is from Melbourne, gave her a bit of Adelaide feel. She'd never been to the pageant before. That's Jack's fiance. Neither had Juanita. Can you believe that? And she kept on bagging it. So, <laughs> as a as a good Queenslander, hey, yeah. So if you see her afterwards, say, why were you picking on South Australia's traditions? It's uh, but it was just a beautiful day. Um, the reason, one of the reasons we went to the pageant, and this is time to get a bit of sympathy. Um, this. This Christmas, Julie and I will pretty well be on our own, other than Benito. And uh, so we're going to pretty well be on our own, because he's never home. But Jack and Gloria are heading off to Samoa, and Emma and Tyson are heading off on their honeymoon to Europe. And so we're just going to be, and Chris and Des are in Melbourne. And, and so, so we, um, one of the consolations we had was to enjoy the pageant together yesterday. And uh, so... Please pray for us, you know. It's a, yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a time of transition. But who can believe it's only seven weeks till Christmas? Seven weeks. You believe it? So uh it's sort of like forty nine days or something like that. Forty nine days till Christmas. It's crazy. And so I actually because in South Australia, the tradition is once the pageant happens, you set up your Christmas tree and all of that. I thought today we would launch our Christmas season with a message around Christmas. Who's excited about that? Anyone bring their Christmas decorations? or No? Any Grinches out there? Who's a Grinch? Matt? Matt, you're not a Grinch. Surely not. Oh, gee. David, we watched The Grinch last night as well, as well as making gingerbread houses. If I'm a bit tired today, it's because it was a big day. We started at 8 in the morning, went to the pageant and came home, set up the Christmas tree, ate a lot of bad food and then made Christmas gingerbread houses. It's just exhausting. I might need a stool like Steve last week. It's a, it's, it was exhausting. But I want to share with you a, a christmas theme message today. And uh, let me ask you this question. 
a bit of involvement for you. When you think about Christmas, what is one word for you that defines Christmas for you? He's got he's got one. Jesus. That's very spiritual. Where is he? Expensive. Yes, yes. Family. Yeah, family's a good one. What else do we have? Joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Everyone with me? Let us. So you're not with me. Retail nightmare. One word, one word. Anything else? Busy. That's good. Food. Yes. Said like a true Filipino. Food. Anything else? Penalty rates. That's a nurse speaking. That's a nurse right there. Jackson. Freedom. That's a good one. Well done, Jackson. Any? No one. Thank you, Doug. Finally, someone said the one I wanted. Took a while to get there, but we got there. Did you see my notes, Doug? Is that, no. Giving. Giving is one of the themes I believe really represents Christmas well. And so today I want to share with you. Oh, you no, know, well, it's already been done, Nathan, when God sent Jesus as a gift to humankind. So giving is a big theme of Christmas. And I believe the reason that is, is that Christmas is all about giving, I believe, because our God is all about giving. Anyone agree with that? Our God is a giver. And as I just shared with Nathan, the greatest gift he's given us is Jesus. That when, he, when Jesus came and became human like us. And I really think this is really important for us to remember as we enter what many of us would think is like the silly season. The crazy, everything gets busy. Everything starts to amp up. You got work Christmas parties. You got family Christmas dues. You got to get ready for the crazy uncle that's coming over and all of that sort of stuff. There's all sorts of weird gear that goes on at Christmas. And, and I think it's really important for us to remember that as the Bible tells us, Christmas is about a God who is lavishly, extravagantly, recklessly generous to us in his giving. And this is really, really for, important for us to remember. You know, besides the Christmas story, there's another story in the Bible called the prodigal son that really shows us how generous our God is. Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God. He prefers to call the, the parable The Prodigal God. Anyone read The Prodigal God? If you haven't, it's a Christian classic it's a book, a modern Christian classic. It's a book that is well worth reading. It's very powerful. And in that book, he talks about the, the meaning behind the word prodigal, which basically means a, a reckless spendthrift. What does that mean? A, a reckless spender or giver or someone who recklessly gives. And we often relate that to the son who wasted all his inheritance, but he relates it to God the Father who embraced the return of the son. And when the son came back, he did not hold anything back. Isn't that right? He killed the fatted calf. He threw a party, put a ring on his finger. He put a robe on his back. And he just poured his love onto him because the son that was lost has now been found. And there's a beautiful picture of our God, the reckless giver, the one who is extravagant in his giving towards us, who the Bible says lavishly, pours out his love upon us. So today we're going to look at 
what we can learn from God about giving, especially as we enter this Christmas season. And, and I want to share with you a bit later on a little bit of what we believe and want to do as a church this Christmas season that is a little bit different to what we've normally done. So be prepared for that. But the first thing I want us to learn is that giving and generosity are inseparable. You see, God himself is only experienced by, by us because he was prepared to give something of himself to us. In that he was prepared to give us Jesus, that he was prepared to give something of himself to us, then we are able to experience the fullness of who he is. And this is the thing. God has not just given us a little bit. He's not just given us um, something he could spare. Oh, I, I, I don't need this anymore, so I'm going to give it like we do. Oh, I've got these shirts or I've got this thing. I'm going to give it to the secondhand shop because I don't need it anymore. But God is not like that. God gave his very best. He gave Jesus to us. The very, something that was very much himself. He gave us with, with holding nothing towards us. And so it's really important for us to understand as followers of Jesus, as followers of God, that when we talk about giving, we need to understand that God has called us to give generously. And this is not just an optional extra. I believe, I truly believe it is an expectation of a follower of Jesus. Now, I know I can see some people squirming in their seats. I know Ben's going to start to talk about money. And like I've preached many money sermons, not. It's not. This is not about money. I'm not here to share about how much more money you can give. I'm here to share about an attitude and a, a lifestyle of generous giving. Because we have a God who, who didn't give us money. He gave his whole life to us. Isn't that right? And so it makes sense that we are called to give our whole lives to him and to each other and to those around us. The truth is, if we strip back the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christian and, and follow Christianity, we understand that it is all about giving. And it's all about giving generously because our God is a God who gives generously. And the Bible teaches us that we are created in whose image? In God's image. So it makes sense for us as children of God, as followers of God, that we would practice what he practices. And if you want to think about how generous our God has been, you don't have to go too far than look at creation. You know, we don't live far from the beach. And uh, often during the week I will walk along the esplanade and I look at the ocean and I can't see the end of it. And in that, I just think of God's generosity to give us an ocean that's so vast, that has such an important part to play in the maintenance of our lifestyle and our lives. Because without it, the earth would not exist. Without water, it, our lives would not exist. And, but God has generously and lavishly given us more than enough, isn't, hasn't he? And you only have to look at the stars in the night sky to see the generosity of God in, in the expanse of the night sky. It's just amazing. And this is the, the incredible thing about our God is 
he lavishly and extravagantly and, and generously pours out his life upon us. And it, and it gets it's summed up in the pivotal scripture of Christianity, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't just give a little bit, he gave his very best. Which brings us to the next thing we can learn from God about giving, is that giving and love are inseparable. Truth is, when you love something or someone, the natural expression of that love is shown by what you are prepared to give into that relationship. Isn't that true? Now, this might take a, a bit for some of you to remember, but who remembers being in love? Anyone? Julie? Julie? Ah, oh, oh, there you go. Who remembers being in love? I was just talking to one young person, I won't embarrass him this morning, but he's got his first girlfriend and her birthday's coming up and he's thinking, what can I give her? He was talking to me about that, what can I give her? And he's thinking, what would she really like? And, he's, and, uh, and then he's thinking, how am I going to pay for it? Because he does not have an income. <laughs> and he's going to have to do lots of, he told me, he's going to have to do lots of jobs around home to get money from his parents to pay for this gift he wants to give his newfound love. Isn't that cute? Like, I remember when I was dating Julie, I've probably told this story before, and um, Nonna was shocked, but um, I think it was her birthday, uh, and I bought her this antique trunk. So we're talking about, this is 1991 or something like that. So it's a long time ago. 30 odd years ago and I was a poor Bible college student um, but I managed to scrounge up $300 for this antique trunk and we still have it today and my kids are fighting over it whether who's going to get it. Uh, Emma tried to steal it but we managed to get it back but uh, I don't know who we're going to leave it in the wheel to. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know what it would be worth now but um <laughs> it is da- having three kids it is damaged a little bit more than it used to be so but my mum was disgusted in me because I brought it home I said look what I bought Julie and she said oh that's what's that what's the point of that an old an old trunk and it's like it's just an old box and I said yeah I paid three hundred dollars for that mum she goes like what what on earth did you do? I can't believe it. But my love for Julie made me want to give her something that she valued and cherished and I was willing to pay whatever it took. And for me at that time, that was a lot of money. Greg Boyd says, love in its purest form is not something that is received, but it is something that is given. God is love not because he is most loved, but because he first loved us. And in 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10, it explains this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There's an old saying that goes, 
You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And this is what we need to understand, that we are blessed, not because of how much we might have. And in the Western world, we have a lot. We are more blessed than most places in the world. But we are blessed in this church and as followers of Jesus because we are the object of God's love. And he has shown this by how much he has extravagantly and lavishly poured out his love upon our lives. And this is the thing. It's as simple as this. God, lo- God gives to us generously because he loves us. Now we need to understand this because sometimes in our thinking we, we feel like God loves us because he feels sorry for us. Anyone feel like that sometimes? That, you know, he's having pity on me because I'm such a stuff up or I'm such, I make them so many mistakes all the time. But you need to know God loves you because of who you are. He does not love you because you tick all the boxes for him. He does not love you because you've done all the right things. He loves you because of who you are. And this is the the truth that he wants us to know is that he loves us and gives us his very best because he loves us just the way we are. Romans um, 5 verse 8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'll read that again. Because I believe there's people here in this place today that you need to hear this because you feel like I keep messing up, I keep making mistakes. Does God really love me anymore? And I haven't got it for you on the screen, but I want to read it for you and I want you to get it into your heart that if you want to know how much God loves you, this scripture tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... While we were still lost, while we were still messing up, while we were still doing the wrong stuff, Christ died for us. This is the incredible thing about God's love. He gives because he loves us. And he's given us Jesus so that we could have salvation and have life in God. And it's only through Jesus that we can find that. It's only as we come to him with our messed up, broken lives that we can say God I give you my life because I see how much you love me and then he then gets to work in transforming our lives as only he can but we must understand that he loves us and that love is unconditional 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 can (laughs) it's a new one unconditional no unconditional it means it's non-negotiable. He'll love because he is love, not because he's the most loved. So you go, oh, I want to love God with everything I have and that will make him love me. No, he loves you. You can't do anything to make him love you anymore. And you can't do anything at the same time to make him love you any less. No bigger mistake as you might make. It will not change the way God feels about you. And this is the incredible thing about our God is his love means that we don't have to stay as we are, but he will give us the power to see transformation, which gives us, brings us to the last 
thing we learn about giving from God is that give, giving is the way of the kingdom. <clears throat> Jesus never came to establish a religion, as we might think. He came to establish a way of life, a pattern for living. And he explains it like this when he taught the disciples how to pray. What did he say? He says, Our Father who art in, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's he say then? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the thing. God wants to establish his kingdom on this earth. He wants to bring his kingdom into play. And his kingdom is the opposite to what our world is. It's the, some theologians describe it as the upside down kingdom. That it's the total opposite. It's not a reflection of the world that we live in. Uh, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a nice compromise of that. It's a total upside down picture of how life should be done. And there's no better picture of the kingdom in the natural sense than the king himself. Isn't that right? The, if you are thinking of a kingdom and you're thinking of what it's about, you will look to see what the king is about. And the same goes in God's kingdom. The king of God's kingdom is Jesus, the Bible tells us. And he's really clear about this. When he came to earth, he, he made it very clear. And this is why they got so upset at him, because he was declaring that the kingdom of God is here now. In other words, I'm here now, I'm the king of this kingdom, and I'm here to bring God's kingdom into the earth. And uh, he said it in Mark 1.5, The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, he, God has come near, Jesus has come near, the king of this kingdom. And he says, repent and believe the good news. And then in Luke 17.20-21, it says, Once... On being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied to them this, The coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because, so he's, he's basically saying, don't go looking here, there or everywhere, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because Jesus came to earth, he came, one of the things that he came to do is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. How incredible is that? He is the king of this kingdom. And so in Jesus, we see the, the same nature, the same uh, character of God in his actions. So he went around doing good things, healing the sick, setting people free, teaching the, the, the word of the kingdom. And, and he lavishly and generously outpoured his life in, in even before he went to the cross for the benefit of others. And so he showed us the way of life that he has called us to when he was walking this earth as a human. Now we can look at lots of different stories. There's so many different stories about how giving and generous Jesus was because you know he wouldn't go anywhere without seeing someone healed or someone set free. Isn't that right? You'd hit read story. If you read the Gospel of Mark over and over again, it's the gospel of action. So he's always doing something, whether he's teaching the truth or whether he's healing the sick or seeing a, a person possessed, set free, or all these different things, preaching the kingdom. But there's a really interesting, interesting story when he fed the 5,000, another very generous thing that he did. He saw, you know, or it was 5,000 men, 
uh, not including women and children. So let's say there was probably ten to 15,000 people there. And he, he felt compassion upon them. And this little boy brings five loaves and two fish. And he, he prays over it, blesses it, and they give it out. And it feeds 5,000. That's pretty generous, isn't it? Feeding 15,000 people in one hit. That's great. Like If you want to know how generous God is, there's a great example. But there's a really interesting part of that story that just shows again the nature of God and the nature of generosity and giving that God has. Because at the end of feeding all these people, he says this really important thing that we, we sort of miss sometimes, but I want to sort of highlight it. He says to his disciples, you get in the boat and you go over to the other side while I dismiss the people. Think about that for a moment. He's just been preaching God's word. He's just done an incredible miracle, fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And then he says, you disciples leave and I will dismiss the people. I'll say goodbye to them all. One after another, after another, after another. It's like, okay, God bless you. Go on your way, go on your way. Yes, I'm glad you had a good meal. Oh, yeah, I'm glad your mother's doing much better these days. And a conversation after conversation after con- Can you imagine it? He's just, he just continually gives of himself. Just continually laying his life down for others. Wanting the benefit of others. Not just in the practical miracles that he did, but in his life. He was prepared to dismiss and say goodbye to all the people. And that's just, that blows my mind. They like in in the modern church, and I've been a part of big churches and stuff, usually the person who's speaking at a conference or speaking at church, they'll go, oh, okay, I'm going to head off. I'm tired now. I've just preached a message. I'm going to go and rest in the back room and I'll go home and you guys take care of the rest of the service. Like, but not Jesus. He's like, no, I'm going to say goodbye to the people. I'm, gonna, I'm about relationship. I'm about life. I'm about giving of myself for others. It's just a beautiful picture of how generous Jesus is, but it's also an important picture of us, for us to understand what Jesus has called us to. Because he's called us to the way of the kingdom, of his kingdom. He's called us to this example to follow. There's a really interesting scripture in Hebrews 2. Where it says, God, God for whom, <coughs> excuse me, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. Now let's remember, Jesus is God. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, part of the Trinity. So in Him, through Him, everything was created and everything holds together. The Bible tells us. And and then it says, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. Now that word, perfect leader, or the word leader there is a Greek word that's archagos, which basically, when it's translated, means to be a trailblazer, a pioneer. So the idea of this is that he, he, Jesus has blazed a trail for us to follow. So it goes on to say, fit to bring them into their salvation so now jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father 
That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Really important for us to grab a hold of this because Jesus has, is blazing a trail for us to follow. And that trail is not a religion, as I said before, but that trail is a trail to be a part of God's family. That's what Jesus made a way and made possible for us to have, that we would be called brothers and sisters of Jesus, that we would be called children of God. That's, that's what he's done. That's what he's given us. And this is what we need to understand is that he has set an example as the leader to show us this is what it looks like to be a follower of God. This is what our lives should be dedicated to. This is what we should be following. Is The, the way I live life is the way you are called to live life. That's why as a, as a church, we have uh, our vision statement says, comes from 1 John 2.6, which says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So if you say, I'm a follower of God, I, wanna, I believe in God, I, I live for God, I've given my life to God, then the simple proof of that is that we should live lives like Jesus lived. How incredible is that? Who's up for that? How do we live lives like Jesus lived? We lay our lives down for one another. We give of ourselves. Because the simple truth is the world's example is greed and selfishness. We live in a world that it's dog-eat-dog and where it's all about consumerism and materialism and getting what you can get and climbing the ladder and uh, doing all that sort of stuff. It's all about becoming something that others will notice. I want to be an influencer. I want to be this. I want to be that. It's all about me, me, me. In other words, it's all driven by self. I need to get what I need. I need to get what I can get. So I'm going to work hard in my job so I can get what I want in life. But Jesus comes into the world and he brings God's kingdom into the world and he shows us that God's kingdom is not like that. His kingdom is all about giving generously of himself. It's not about self, but it's about the best interest of others. And this is our challenge because we, we live in this world so it's very easy to get sort of contaminated by the world's mindset. Isn't that right? Like we have to get our minds renewed, the Bible teaches us. And so we, we, we can easily get drawn into greed and consumerism and selfishness. It's very easy for us to do. And I often think, well, how do I combat these, these mentalities of the world? And sometimes people think, well, if I'm going to steer away from all of that consumerism and materialism and self, 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 me, 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 then what I need to do is just become poor. And people have done this in the past and have nothing. That's the answer. That's the, that's the best way to deal with it. But that's not what the kingdom of God is about. Because if you want to overcome selfishness and greed in your life, if you want to overcome self in your life, then the best example you have to follow is the example of God. And how did God overcome self and selfishness and greed and all these things? He gave generously of himself in the best interest of others. See, see generosity, giving, selflessness is the answer to the way the world does life. The principle is simple. It's simply, if I live 
for others, I will be better myself. And Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says it like this. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Who wants that? The, pl- the way we see that in our lives is by generously laying our lives down for God, by generously giving to others, by generously living like Jesus lived. I want to finish with this story, and it's in John 13, and it's a perfect example of how this works, and Jesus displays it to us really clearly. Many of you would know this story. It's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it's, uh, I've taken it about halfway through. He's gone, he's washed their feet and everything. And it says, after washing their feet, he puts on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And then he says these powerful words. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So what's the pathway to God's blessing? Jesus' example. Washing each other's feet. Now if the ushers could bring the buckets up and uh, get your shoes off. Let's get to work. It's okay, it's metaphorical. You don't actually have to do it. Or you can if you want to. I've... I'm more than happy for you to come and wash my feet. But uh, I did it for many years as a podiatrist, so it's okay. I understand what it's like. But the reality is it's, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of how we are to live our lives, is that we shouldn't think of ourselves better than we ought. We think, shouldn't think of ourselves as above things, that, oh, that's above me. I'm more important. I, should, I, I shouldn't be getting down on my knees and washing someone's feet. I'm too important for that. I've got more important things to do for Jesus than do that. But Jesus shows us very simply in a simple illustration. He acted out for his disciples to say, I'm your leader, I'm your teacher, I'm your Lord, and I'm prepared to wash your feet. How much more should you be prepared to wash each other's feet? To lay your lives down for one another. To see your neighbor as more important than you. To see others around you as, as needing your help and support and love and care. This is the kingdom that Jesus has called us to. As I said before, the principle is simple. If I live for others, I will be better myself. It's a bit different from our world. that says, no, no, do it for yourself, do it for yourself, do it for yourself. Make sure you get in front. Don't worry about anyone else. Get what you need. 
No, Jesus says if you live for others, if you put others first, you will actually be better yourself. And then Jesus, in our stories, I, I can't remember a story where Jesus gave anyone any money. Can anyone? I was going through the Gospels thinking, was there a moment? Where, oh, the one in the fish mouth where he used that as an illustration when they were talking about taxes and he said, throw your line in and get a fish. And what, whose, whose face is on the coin? Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But it, I can't remember a story where he went around throwing money out to the crowds going, here, be blessed, be blessed, be blessed. But in his life, he was generous. He gave more than what was expected of him. Like that story I told before, he spent time dismissing and saying goodbye to people. He gave more than that was expected. And so this generosity Jesus is displaying can simply be defined as this. Sacrificial giving driven, driven by love. Sacrificial giving. This is what generosity is. Sacrificial giving driven by love. This is our challenge, church. This is what we need to remember this Christmas time as we come into this season that our place, our position, our role, our job, our responsibility is to lay our lives down for each other. That this Christmas there are opportunities to wash each other's feet. There are opportunities to show other people their value by what we're willing to do for them. And with this in mind, I want to share with you our plan as a church this Christmas, which is a little bit different to what we've done in the past. Who's enjoyed doing Christmas hampers in the past? They've been fun. They've been good. But as a leadership team, we've been talking about this and we, we love the idea of giving families hampers and you know, you put a few items in there and it's nice, might spend a hundred bucks and that's good. But we had a feeling that that's not really reflecting the heart of the kingdom as such. It's sort of like doing our duty and getting it done. And so what we want to look at this year, a little bit different to what we've done in the past, is we want to look at opportunities to bless people beyond the normal of what they would expect just like Jesus did. He did beyond what you would expect. So what we're asking is that there may be people in your lives that you know are doing it tough and that are doing it really hard at the moment or whatever. And so rather than just buying them a hamper of a few items, some that they'll never use, um, what we want to do is give to them specifically, specifically giving into their area of need. So let me give you an example. Um, maybe you know a young family that's doing it tough, whether it's a single mum with kids or mum and dad with kids. And rather than give them a hamper, what we're thinking is what we'd love to do is that a group in the church, whether it be a grow group or uh, the worship team or the youth or um, the ushering team or the you know, different groups in the church, would actually buy them a full week's shop that they can enjoy and be blessed with. Does that make sense? That's just an example. Or maybe there are single mums that we know that are 
doing it tough and they never get to take their kids to the zoo or something like that and we just pay for them to go to Monado Zoo for a day. And that a group of people in the church would do that. But what we need from you guys is we need to know the stories of people that are in need. Maybe it's an older person and um, they can't do their garden anymore and a, the garden group here at church will go in and clean up their garden on, and on a day and others. So it doesn't have to be financial or anything like that. It can be very practical. Maybe someone's got a broken down car and it needs fixing. And a few guys from church can do that. So we're not looking at, you know, in the past we've done hampers and we give away 40 hampers and we pat ourselves on the back. You've done a great job. But the reality is, has it really made a, a difference to people's lives? Maybe a bit. Maybe it's nice. But what we want to do is actually wash someone else's feet. We want to actually generously pour our life out to someone. So what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going to pray in a moment and, uh, and, and pray about this, but I want you to think about people in your life because what we want it to be is personal as well. We don't want it to be random. We want it to be people that we know that could benefit from it. And uh, what I'd ask you to do is we've asked Matt Gulzo, who runs our community programs, We've asked him to be the point of contact. And so if you have a neighbour or a friend or a family member who could benefit from something, that you go to him and tell them, tell him their story on what what's going on. And, and then maybe together you can brainstorm and say, what is the way we can help? And then Matt will come back to the team and say, well, there's this person and they're going through this and they would really benefit from their car being serviced. And so then we'd go to a grow group and say, would you be willing to pay for a service of this person's car, raise the money to do it? Does that make sense? So, but we, what we need from you is the stories of those people because you're the ones out in the world. You're the ones living life. You're the ones rubbing shoulders with people who are doing And they don't have to come from this community. They could come from anywhere. That, but it's about us as a church. So if we bless... 10 people extravagantly and generously or 10 families and we go be above and beyond what is expected, then we're happy with that. It's not about how many, it's about the content of and the, the impact we want to make. Does that make sense? So we're going to pray and ask the band to come back as well and we're going to finish with a song. But we're going to pray and I want, to, I want you to open your hearts to God and say, so I'm not asking you as an individual to do this. Once you alert Matt to the story and the situation, we as a church together with you will work out how to best do this and how to best make it happen. But what we'd ask you to do is open your hearts and to think about people who could benefit from it. Maybe it is a, a, you know, a, someone who's struggling with their school fees and they need some help in that area. And we could help them with that. Or maybe it's an older person that never gets to go out anywhere and we take them out to the movies for a day and have a meal together and have a great time. Who knows what it is? But what we're asking is that you pray and consider the people that might benefit from an act of generosity, an act of kindness, an act of giving, an act of us washing their feet. Why don't we pray? And why don't you open your hearts? I'd even say this to the youth that are in this place. Maybe you've got friends that you think of that would really benefit from it. 
because we'd love to see even the youth group consider working out some way to benefit others just as Jesus has benefited us. Lord God, we thank you for your generosity. It's, it's beyond what we could imagine or conceive. It's, it's so incredible what you have poured out upon our lives. There's nothing we could do to thank you enough for what you have done. But God, the one thing that we do want to do to honour your gift to us this Christmas is to bless others. And God, I just pray over the church right now that you would open our eyes to the needs of those around us and that we would think and find ways to show your love and your generosity to those around us. God, open our eyes to see the need that's right in front of us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.